Hi, ladies. Welcome to the Olives and Arrows podcast, where we discuss women's health, marriage, fertility, pregnancy, birth, motherhood, and much more from a biblical worldview. While we might not agree on every theological issue, we are unified in the truth of the gospel and recognize that this cannot be separated from our experiences. It's a gift to be able to share these things with you today. I pray that you will be encouraged and that God will be glorified. Keep in mind that the things we discuss are personal experiences. You may relate to the information, but every woman's body is different. You should always discuss your health and wellness practices with a trusted healthcare provider. Please note that on this podcast, we do discuss details regarding our bodies that you might want to discuss with your kids before they hear them on our show. With that in mind, let's get started. Today on the Alls and Arrows podcast, we have Dr. Rebecca Vavilov. Um, and Dr. Rebecca has been on this podcast before. We had her on as a mama, um, and she's back for part two. And I'm just so excited to have Dr. V on today. Um, so just to jump in, can you tell us what got you started in the natural medicine and fertility field? Yes, absolutely. Well, I am so excited to be here today and for this conversation. Um, I've really been looking forward to it. So thank you so much for inviting me on today. So I was about 12 years old, I want to say, when I was going through some books that I had laying around my house. One of them was called Lily Robbins, MD, and it is like a Christian tween book for a middle-aged girl uh, that was all about this girl who wanted to be a doctor. And so that, I believe, was actually my first inspiration to enter in some sort of a medical field. I also throughout college taught for a women's finishing school. So if you know what that is, uh, or even if you don't, it's different etiquette classes. And what I learned through that is that I just really love teaching women. And then fast forward to high school, um, or I guess rewind a little bit, I took a career development course. And our professor at the time, it was a college class that I was taking in high school, asked us to create a portfolio about what our dream job would look like. And I had such a hard time in that class because I was really torn. I had two ideas of things that I wanted to do. The first thing is I wanted to be a doctor. And the second thing is I wanted to be the director of a women's finishing school. And so I really had these two passions all throughout, you know, health and wellness and also women. And I also had some other jobs early on that inspired me in the health and wellness area. When I was in high school, I worked for a little smoothie bar called Jamba Juice. Now I probably wouldn't say they're the healthiest smoothies, but at the time I thought I was doing something (laughs) good for myself. And so that was really fun. And then in college, I studied biology pre-med. I loved genetics and biochemistry and molecular biology. Those are my favorite courses. And at the same time, I was working in a hospital actually for a nutritionist. And 
her job was really interesting. She was a nutritionist, but also in clinical research. And she was working with women who had just finished treatment for breast cancer. And she was looking at some different nutritional aspects that could help them afterward. And so I thought that was really fascinating. And I was also taking this molecular biology course where my professor was introducing some different case studies into our work. And those just happened to be focused around breast cancer as well. And so that was actually my first introduction to hormones. And wow, I was just amazed. It was so fascinating to me that I knew that that might be something that I would want to pursue in the future. And so, you know, another thing that just amazed me in all of my studies was just how God designed our bodies so intricately. You know, a lot of times as women, I feel like we think of our menstrual cycle as just this horrible thing that we have to deal with, but it's actually this amazing, intricate process that when it's working properly and in harmony with the rest of our bodies, it allows us to, you know, be fruitful and multiply, to have children and carry the next generation. And so really it's this incredible, amazing thing. And so I was fascinated by that. And in college, I was also really passionate about nutrition, but I at the time had every intention of applying to conventional medical school. I I knew though that it just didn't maybe seem like it was the right fit for me. I had shadowed some really amazing doctors, a vascular surgeon that I'm still friends with to this day. We actually were just texting this morning about some different things. And I also had the privilege of shadowing an OB doctor where I was able to witness live birth. And I worked in the hospital, you know, in clinical research. But, you know, I just couldn't help but be drawn to an approach that focused a little bit more on nutrition, but I just didn't know my options. And so I looked into DO school, which is osteopathic medicine. I knew that I was getting a little bit closer to what seemed like just all of my interests combining into one. And, and then a couple years later, I found a naturopathic clinic in my area. And that is when I decided, yes, this is exactly what I want to do. And for those of you who are listening who are not familiar with naturopathic medicine, basically it is a natural approach to restoring health to the body. And so a lot of times different supplements and herbs are used in combination with nutrition and lifestyle changes. And I was just really amazed at what I saw. And I was offered an internship under that doctor and then eventually a job working for that naturopath. And at the same time, I applied to grad school and started a five-year program where I was studying natural medicine. And I learned so much at that clinic that I worked at. I That's where I believe my interest in hormones really took off. You know, we saw 
all sorts of people, people with allergies and Lyme's disease and chronic fatigue and gut issues. But the most fascinating cases to me were always related to hormones. And what's interesting is it was also the one thing it seemed like that nobody else wanted to do. It was just confusing and complex. And it would take a lot of studying to actually understand hormones and how they all work, especially female hormones. But, you know, the nerd in me uh, was just thrilled. (laughs) And so I decided, you know what, this is this is what I'm going to do. This is going to be my thing. And so that is really my journey into hormones and natural health. That is so wonderful. And I love how you really explored every option that you could. Like you went from very conventional to very natural um, and everything in between and and found your niche. I think that's wonderful and makes for a very holistic um, healthcare provider. So I appreciate that about you. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was fun to see all of the different areas of health and wellness and medicine. And then just once I found that one thing that I was so passionate about, that's just what I continued to stick with. For sure. That is so wonderful. So that leads us into our next question. So why are you passionate about approaching fertility or hormone care in general naturally rather than through conventional medicine? And what does that look like in your practice? Yeah. So, you know, especially with my background and how I jumped around with all sorts of different things, I first just want to say I have the utmost respect for conventional medicine and medical doctors. You know, when health emergencies arise, I am so thankful that they're there. And as I mentioned, you know, I'm still texting back and forth with that vascular surgeon friend of mine. And yes. so, so I really do think that they play a huge um, a largely important role in our healthcare, but I also um, encourage my own clients to, you know, have a really great relationship with their doctor, and hopefully, we can all work together as a whole integrated team. Um, but you know, when it comes to fertility, it's really important to understand that infertility is a symptom; it's not a disease. And so, in other words, the body is not falling pregnant because there's some sort of disruption or imbalance that is affecting the woman and her cycle. And now there are definitely male factor infertility cases too. Actually up to 50% of cases of infertility have to do with some sort of male factor. And so it is important to get that checked out, but my focus is women's health. So that's what I'll be talking about. So if we know that fertility challenges are a symptom. That means we have to figure out what is that underlying issue? And it's different for each woman. And so in women's health, it seems to me like there is a one size fits all approach, you know, and while that may work some of the time, many women are not able to find a solution to their issues and they feel unheard, unseen and like sometimes like they're just a number and not a unique individual 
And that can lead to a lot of exhaustion and frustration and rightfully so. And, you know, one example that we see is the widespread use and recommendation of the pill, uh, irregular cycles, PMS, acne, painful periods, hormonal headaches, you name it, the pill is that one size fits all solution that it seems like is just given for just about everything. And I was one of those women. Uh, I, as a teenager, I was given the pill for painful periods. And you know what? It did help for a little while. But what I didn't know and what I wasn't told at the time is that it was actually shutting down my whole reproductive system. Mm -hmm. And yeah. and. And that information, you know, I don't know if you've had the same experience, but uh, it just seems like it isn't shared enough. No, no. And it can be very frustrating because whenever you don't know um, the way that it works and then you find out, it's like, why did no one tell me this? I know. It's so true. It's so true. And, you know, it can seem really uh, almost frustrating because you feel like it's something that can really help you, but you're just not told all of the other impacts that it can have on your system. And so you feel a little bit blindsided sometimes, or at least that's the way that I felt when I started learning more about it. And so, you know, the menstrual cycle, it involves this really delicate balance of hormones. And there's this whole communication process between the endocrine system and the reproductive system and the brain. And your brain and your ovaries actually communicate to maintain a balance of hormones. But what the pill does is it actually shuts down that communication. And it also prevents your body from ovulating. And so this can cause huge implications on a woman's fertility. And, you know, we act like we can shut down this whole reproductive system and then turn it on again at any point. And we just expect it to act totally normally again, as if nothing happened. Well, if you've been on the pill for 10 years, you haven't been ovulating for 10 years. And so your body has to relearn how to do that. And, you know, just as a side note, we also know that the pill depletes our body of some essential nutrients like magnesium and folate and the B vitamins, vitamin C, zinc. And interestingly, these are actually some of the most crucial nutrients for fertility and for proper development of a baby during pregnancy. And the amazing thing, though, is there is a natural and completely personalized way to address reproductive and fertility related challenges. It, there is, it's not, you're not limited to just a one size fits all approach. There is something that can really help you and it can be personalized. And so this approach focuses on restoring your natural fertility. And that restorative reproductive health is what I use in my practice. 
And I just want to say too, you know, for women who aren't necessarily wanting to have a baby right now, say you're in college and you have horrible cramps, uh, you know, just know that your menstrual cycle is not just a sign of your fertility, but it's actually a sign of your overall health as well. It's not something, you know, just to pay attention to only when you're thinking about starting a family. Uh, in fact, in December of 2015, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, also known as ACOG, they recommended that menstrual history is actually used as another vital sign. That important. And that's ACOG. Uh, so they, yeah, yeah you know, it, it, it is so important. And, you know, they said in their report, and this is me quoting them, they said, identification of abnormal menstrual patterns in adolescents may improve early identification of potential health concerns for adulthood. And so this is actually important for all women. You know, your cycle can be one of the earliest indicators that something is off. And actually, with my clients, we can even see if a particular protocol that we're using is working based on the changes that we see month to month in their cycle. Isn't that amazing how the Lord created our bodies to be able to respond in that way that we have such a clear kind of roadmap? Yes. Oh, it's so true. I I totally believe that. You know, he created our bodies so intricately and also as a feedback system where when something's wrong, we develop a symptom. And so we can actually use symptoms as a little signal to tell us something is off in our body and there's something that we need to go fix and address. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's a good segue into our next question. Um, what are some things that you typically see causing imbalances in hormones and what might those imbalances look like? Yeah, so that's a really great question. Um, so I want to first talk a little bit about what what indicators we can maybe use to tell us that there might be an imbalance going on. Um, so each practitioner, even natural practitioners, do things a little bit differently. And so one of the tools that I use in my practice to help me identify if there might be some sort of imbalance going on is menstrual cycle charting, or you may have heard of fertility awareness. And so I use that to help me assess what's going on. And, you know, we could do an entire podcast on this, but just to give a really basic overview, there are three different fertility signs that can be tracked to give us information about your cycle and your fertility. The first one is basal body temperature. The second one is cervical mucus, also called cervical fluid. And the third one is actually the position of your cervix. And so each of these signs change throughout your cycle in response to your hormones. And they help us to indicate your fertile window. They tell us 
if and when you're ovulating, and they can even clue us into whether there might be something going on with your thyroid or what type of hormonal imbalance is happening. And so it really gives us so much information about your body, and it's all in real time. So for example, many women might be familiar with period tracker apps, you know, where you're able to plug in the days that you have your period and then it might predict ovulation. But those really only work to predict fertility based on the average woman that ovulates on day 14. And we're kind of given this standard ideal 28 day cycle as a pattern. Well, we know as women, you know, that's not always common. And uh, <laughs> for each woman, there's a different normal, right? And so, for example, you know, women with PCOS, they might not have ovulatory cycles. And oftentimes, their cycles are very irregular and sporadic. And even with, you know, a 28-day cycle, women who have a consistent 28-day cycle, uh, they can predict their period down to the day. It can, they can still vary in what day they ovulate, cycle to cycle, month to month, just based on stress and other external factors. And so I teach my clients how to chart their fertility signs so that, um, and you know, if that's something new for them, um, I help them. But I use those charts month to month to help me make recommendations and also to help me figure out what is going on specific to them. And this is something that's pretty unique to my practice. It's something that just really isn't taught in med school, um, and not even many natural practitioners use it. In fact, the uh, local naturopathic clinic that I worked at, um, I kind of have a funny story about this. Uh, I was doing a patient intake for a woman who came in with some help for her hormones. And I asked her about her cycle, and she pulled out a calendar with every single period recorded for like the past 20 years. And wow, it was crazy. I mean, that's a lot of tracking, a lot of charting and for a long time. It's like a gold mine though, right? <laughs> right. I know. Well, now this was before I had even known of fertility awareness. And so I thought my initial reaction was, oh my goodness, this woman has issues. Why does she care so much? This is nuts. <laughs> um, I thought it was just like some weird, crazy obsession. I didn't even know that the menstrual cycle and charting could be used as a health assessment tool. And, and that was when I was studying natural medicine and working for a naturopathic clinic. Um, but, you know, I was just a student then. I had so much to learn, and I still do. I'm learning every day still. But, you know, the doctor that I worked for, and she was an incredible, wonderful doctor, uh, but she actually had the same reaction that I did. And she didn't even look at her chart. And so, you know, looking back, I realized how you're right. Uh, this patient was actually just giving us goals, um, you know, the best information that we could ever have when it came to assessing our hormones, but we just didn't realize it at the time. And so, you know, then I think the question is, so if ACOG uh, has recognized the significance of this information, why aren't we using it as practitioners? And 
And I think there are many reasons, but you know, most of all, I think it just comes down to the fact that we aren't really taught as women or as practitioners how to use it and even that it can be used as a tool. Um, now, I also use some other tools in my practice to help me figure out different imbalances, um, like comprehensive hormone testing. My personal favorite is the Dutch test, um, which you can either see a one-time snapshot of what's going on with your hormones and it's timed based on a certain point in your cycle or for my clients that might have really irregular cycles or struggling with fertility issues, um, there's actually a cycle mapping where you can get your hormones assessed for every single day of your cycle and they tell you exactly what's going on and that is so helpful. Um, I also have some thyroid assessments I can do. Uh, there are all sorts of things that we can use, um, but I use those in combination with the charts um, because the charts let me know what's going on in real time and from month to month. And so this totally personalized approach uh, really helps me to make the best recommendations for my clients rather than using that one size fits all approach that we see so often. Yeah, absolutely. And just something that I just thought of is this sounds like a very inconvenient way to do medicine, <laughs> but <laughs> it's so much more effective. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. You know, there is a little bit of a learning curve, not only as a practitioner, because cycles are so intricate and uh, there are so many different parts to it when it comes to hormones and the different glands that are producing hormones and how they interact. You know, there's a lot to understand. It's not like, oh, well, whatever she comes in with, I have the same solution. Here's the pill, you know. Um, so, so there is a lot to learn. <laughs> but also as a client, uh, you know, it does take a little bit of time. It, it, it is a lifestyle thing that you learn how to do. And, you know, when you first start charting, it can be overwhelming. And I do recognize that because it's like learning a new habit. You know, it's just, it's not easy. But once you get used to it, it becomes as simple as brushing your teeth every morning. You know, it's just something that it's like second nature. And so, you know, I really try to support my clients in that initial period where they're learning how to do this and I'm teaching them and helping them. And then we see, you know, as it becomes a habit that it's just like second nature. And um, but you're right. It it is a, a little bit of a process. And the other thing, you know, is um, we're using months of data month after month. And so sometimes the natural approach, well, it can be in many cases even more effective. Um, it does take time. And so I just, you know, want to put that out there. It's not, you know, an overnight fix, um, like, you know, starting a new pill, you know, where you might see a difference the next day. So. Right. Right. And would you say generally that the women that find themselves in your practice um, are kind of done with um, 
with the standard way of practicing medicine as far as, you know, they've tried the quick fixes, they haven't worked, um, and now they're really ready to put in the work that it takes to get some healing? Yes, I would say so far, yes, that is definitely a true statement. You know, women want something that is personalized to them, but also that works. And, you know, I, as women, I mean, we are so dedicated when we're passionate about something. And especially when we know that it's making a difference. And so there is a really deep commitment there, but it's also really encouraging and empowering for women because they're learning so much about their bodies that they just had no idea. And it's really, you know, exciting actually, because you're able to see these changes and you're also understanding why you might be feeling certain ways at different times. Yes, it's super empowering. And I think once you get to know your body in this way, um, kind of troubleshooting other issues becomes much more intuitive from my experience. Yeah, no, I would agree with that as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we've already talked a little bit about this, but Um, let's talk about how is your approach different than what ladies might see within a standard fertility practice? Yeah. So in the conventional fertility world, uh, we see this process where the body is almost forced into a pregnancy by administering different medications, things like Clomid that are used to cause the body to ovulate or ART, which stands for Assisted Reproductive Technology. That includes IUI, which is um, intrauterine insemination, and IVF, which is in vitro fertilization. And in in vitro fertilization, um, eggs are typically removed, fertilized in a lab, and then the embryo is transferred back to the mother. Um, And so, And we can go more into detail about that later. Um, But, you know, the challenge with this is that because we know infertility is a symptom of an underlying cause, we aren't really discovering what the issue is. And so that means we're not improving that woman's health by addressing the underlying cause that is leading to the issue of infertility. And so just as an example, you know, if a woman isn't ovulating, so Clomid is typically given um, sometimes without even determining that there is an ovulation issue. Sometimes it's just given as a first step. We'll try this first and see if it works type of approach. But, you know, let's assume that it's given to a woman who actually does have an ovulatory cycle. So she's not ovulating. Now, anovulation, the issue of not ovulating, is a symptom. And so what I would ask is, why isn't the woman ovulating? Is it PCOS? Is it estrogen excess? Is it some sort of imbalance? Did she just recently come off the pill? Uh, Why isn't she ovulating? And then I would address that issue so that her body can ovulate naturally again. Um, 
you know, another consequence of not finding out and addressing the underlying issue is that that woman, if she does become pregnant, the question would be, is her body in a healthy place to carry that baby to term? And did we really prepare that woman's body to grow a baby um, and birth a baby and to, you know, take care of a baby postpartum? Is that woman in a healthy place? And so that's why my goal with my clients is to really restore their natural fertility while addressing their underlying health issues and giving them really great preconception care. And so in my practice, I use a four-phase approach. The first phase I call the cleanup phase, and this is all about making sure that what you're putting on your body and in your body is hormone-friendly. And so in some cases, we may also incorporate a detox, but it's all very personalized to that client and what they're dealing with. Uh, the second phase that I move on to once we're done with that cleanup phase is the discovery phase. And that's where we try to figure out what's going on. And so we'll use the woman's menstrual cycle charts. Uh, we like to use uh, three consecutive charts in order to actually notice a pattern. And so I touched on that a little bit briefly before, um, but you know, when I see somebody um, it, I might, you know, after their initial intake, have a pretty good idea of what is going on. But really, I don't like to guess. Um, I would much rather that be confirmed. And so uh, I use their charts month to month to really tell, like, is this a, actually a pattern? Uh, and then the other thing that I might use is uh, hormone testing, like the Dutch test uh, that I talked about, uh, cycle mapping, um, different thyroid assessments. And so those would be used in that discovery phase where we try to figure out what's going on. And then the third phase then is the balancing phase. And that's a really exciting one. Um, really, they're all exciting because we're learning more and, and trying to correct things. But that third phase is where we work to address those underlying issues and restore balance to the hormones and the menstrual cycle. And then phase four is either maintenance for women who are coming to me with, um, you know, period irregularities, and that's their main concern, um, or trying to conceive. And so my goal is to get you here. And it'll take a different amount of time for each client. But you know, depending on what they have going on. Um, but I work in you know, three and six and nine month programs. My three month programs though are really, um, they're short. And so they're just focused on, you know, detoxing after the pill. Let's say you realize, you know, this is something that I don't want to be putting in my body anymore, but how do I come off of it? You know, I had symptoms before going on it. Um, so I can kind of walk you through that process. Um, or, you know, a, a preconception plan is maybe something that I could address in three months. Um, if somebody is just starting to think about, um, starting a family soon and they don't really have a whole lot of health issues underlying that they know about. Um, but for most 
people that I see, I work in either a six or a nine month plan so that we have enough time to get your body in a really healthy place, um, especially if we're thinking about fertility and conception. Um, and, you know, when we're addressing things naturally, you have to realize it, it did take your time or it did take your body time to get here. And so there might be imbalances that have been unaddressed for quite some time. And so it'll take a little while to restore that balance. It's not an overnight process. And, you know, like we talked about before, it does take dedication. Um, I make recommendations, but, you know, it's up to you to implement them. Um, but what I love about this, though, and, you know, we did talk about this, is it's really empowering to see that, you know, hey, I can actually take my health and fertility into my own hands. And there's something that I can do about this. And that's really exciting. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, yeah. So what might someone see within a standard fertility practice um, when they come in with PCOS, for example? What would be like the first response that they would get? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. And it really depends on the practice that they're going to. Um, generally, there might be some lab work done. Um, but it really depends on what practice they're going to and, um, and what that doctor does. It's different for each practitioner. Yeah, yeah. And then if they were to come to you with that same issue, and let's say this person has been trying to chart, but they've had, um, no period for, you know, two or three months. Um, at that point, what would you start looking for? Yeah. So that's a really good question. Um, so we're talking in a hypothetical case. And so I want to make it clear that, you know, if this sounds like you, yes. um, I'm not giving you direct um, health advice. This is just a hypothetical situation. Um, and so you would have to talk with your practitioner. But what I would do to address that is, um, you know, first, uh, my first appointment with a client is a 90 minute appointment. And so it's very comprehensive. We go through their whole health history because, you know, PCOS is not something that you just, uh, you know, everything you're going along, you know, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness, now I have all these issues. And so, you know, health issues build. And so what I would do is I'd really dig into that. Um, but something that I might offer her that would be a little bit unique would be um, that Dutch hormone testing because it is so comprehensive. Um, with PCOS, um, and that's actually one of the issues that my practice focuses around. There are some different components. You know, uh, there's an insulin resistance issue most of the time. Um, you may have uh, polycystic ovaries, but that's actually not the case in all situations. Um, there's also this anovulation issue, which, you know, in the client that you described, um, she is not getting her period. And so we can assume that she's not ovulating. Um, and then there's usually an elevated androgen level and androgens um, are you know, what, what are considered to be male hormones, but women have them as well. Um, and so what I would do is I would, you know, look at that Dutch test to give me um, some indicators 
of what we what we have going on. Um, if there is a hormone imbalance, um, we can also look at cortisol um, with the Dutch test, and that's really helpful because there's a huge role of uh, stress and cortisol with PCOS, and that um, and insulin resistance actually kind of. Um, they affect each other. And so we'd be doing that. But, you know, we're also going to be incorporating some different lifestyle things um, and supplements to address, you know, all of those issues at the same time. And so, um, you know, I, I kind of work on two tracks with each of my clients. Um, the first one is, hey, if you're coming in with, um, you know, and this isn't necessarily the PCOS case, but if you're coming in with horrible menstrual cramps, you know, like I want to get you through that, you know, um, but at the same time, I'm working on the underlying issues. And so we're kind of working on two things at the same time, getting you to feel better and also what's the root cause. Yeah, well, and I snuck that question in there because I think <laughs> that is a perfect example of um, just what the different approaches look like. And I know that you mentioned um, when I asked about the standard fertility practice um, that every office is different. And yes, that is definitely true. Um, however, I am the example that I just gave. Um, and I can tell you that the experience that I had with probably five or six standard um, fertility hormone practitioners, um, it, it was 15-minute discussion mm. and a Band-Aid solution um, mm -hmm. or a solution that I was not comfortable with just morally um, mm -hmm. or biblically. And um, I had just a world's different experience um, with a practitioner like yourself. And so mm -hmm. I, I wanted to put that out there as kind of a real world example. Um, and like you said, this is definitely not medical advice for anyone out there specifically, but I do think it is um, empowering information that our listeners can use to um, just explore what different options may look like for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I'm so sorry about that experience that you had, you know, I know that that's not, unfortunately, it's not an uncommon thing, you know, going from practitioner to practitioner and really only getting a few minutes and then given kind of this one size fits all kind of band-aid solution. You know, uh, the other thing with PCOS that um, I see a lot, and this is just heartbreaking to me is, um, and I bring this up because I've had clients that come to me with this experience, but also just really dear people in my life that this has happened to. Um, with PCOS, you know, um, oftentimes there's this insulin resistance component and um, that can really make, um, it has metabolic effects. And so sometimes what women have is they go to see a practitioner and the doctor may say, you know, um, here are some medications that um, you might be able to use, um, but really just lose weight. And I think that is so unhelpful, um, such unhelpful advice because, you know, we're not looking at, um, 
at the, at the overall health of somebody. And I think just sometimes this, um, it's just uh, not really a, a very sensitive approach when you're when you really understand the imbalances going on in somebody's body um, that are causing issues. Same thing with um, women who suffer with thyroid issues. Um, I see this a lot with new moms. Um, a lot of times they're brushed off as, "Oh, you're a new mom. Of course you're going to be tired," you know. Um, but really, you know, yeah. Yes, there is some truth to that because a lot of times we're not sleeping as we normally would. But at the same time, it's this time where it's very common to have thyroid issues pop up. And if your thyroid is slow functioning, um, your metabolism is going to be affected and you aren't going to be um, losing maybe, you know, the baby weight that people expect you to lose, right? Um, but really, when in actuality, it's just um, your thyroid needs a little bit of support. And if that client had not been just brushed off as, oh, you're just a new mom, and there was a little bit more investigation going on there, we could see that, hey, you know what? If we just support her her thyroid for a little bit, she's going to be feeling so much better. And, you know, like it, it could make just this huge uh, difference in her health, how she feels, how she's able to take care of herself and also her baby. Yes. Amen to all of the above. <laughs> and I think that goes back to symptoms versus root cause. Yeah. Um, I, the way that you laid that out so beautifully, um, probably not even intentionally, just shows that um, those symptoms that you talk through are just that. They're symptoms. And when you look at the root cause and when you support the body, um, everything else can fall into place and not that it doesn't take work for things to fall into place. It absolutely does. Um, but at least they can fall into place. Whereas if you're not dealing with the root cause, nothing is going to, to change. And if it does, it'll be in a way that's ultimately not good for the mama's body. Exactly. Exactly. It's that restorative approach. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man, I'm so excited. Uh, just as an aside, I get so excited talking to you. Oh, um, <laughs> I love talking to you as well. <laughs> good, good. Um, you know, it is right, exciting so though too because there's hope. You know, um, I see so yes. many women just like uh, disheartened. You know, by the time they get to me, and to really be able to say, "Hey, you know, there's actually things that we can do." Um, it, it is encouraging. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and hopefully getting this kind of information out there will help you be one of the first steps, not the last step. Um, because that that's kind of where I was. I, I went through all of the kind of standard steps. And then when I got to the, um, the natural field, um, I was, I was just really burdened and worn out, but um, I don't know, you just find like a happy home there and you finally start getting some, um, some help. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're skipping ahead a little bit as far as like the life cycle of women's fertility, but we'll come back to, 
um, things like IVF and the pill. But I just wanted to ask here, um, since we do talk mostly about like birth and pregnancy on this podcast, um, when your clients achieve pregnancy, what do you generally recommend as their next step for care? Sure. Yeah. So this is really exciting and it's a really good question because, you know, seeing those two pink lines is just such a huge thing. Uh, But really, you know, it's not the end. It's just the beginning. And, you know, unfortunately, I've seen this gap in care in those early weeks of pregnancy. And, you know, sometimes that first prenatal appointment doesn't get scheduled until eight to 12 weeks. And, my goodness, 12 weeks is the end of the first trimester. And so that Mm -hmm. means that you may have gone a third of your pregnancy without support. (laughs) And, you know, it's also a really delicate time. Um, We know that um, up to one in four uh, recognized pregnancies end in miscarriage. Um, And this most often occurs in that first trimester. Um, And so unfortunately, women aren't um, often supported during this time. And um, I think that we need to see a lot more of that because that can be really, really um, challenging for women and tough to go through. And if they're not um, seeing somebody who can support them through that process, um, that can just be even harder. Um, You know, the first trimester is also a time where many women experience that morning sickness and their appetite is lower, uh, extreme fatigue. And so what I do with my clients is um, I continue care during that time. And so if, for example, a woman is in month seven of a fertility program, uh, those last two months will roll into pregnancy care um, and we'll primarily focus on nutrition, how to manage some of those first trimester discomforts, if she has a history of miscarriage or uh, low progesterone, we'll just be keeping an eye on that and adding in some additional support. And I'll also really encourage her to find a great uh, pro-life midwife or OB. Um, And you know, there are, I meant to um, write down some resources here um, for how to find a pro-life OB, um, but I, I'm missing my little sticky note. So I might have you include that um, at the end or in the resources um, sure. because that can be really helpful if women are looking for that. Yeah, definitely. Um Real quick, can you talk about why it's important to have a pro-life provider? Yes. Um, You know, as a believer, um, we believe, you know, that life begins at conception. And so even before you see those two lines on a pregnancy test, you are a mother and you have a child. And they're practitioners who are also pro-life tend to see things the way that we do. Um, They are much more likely to offer you a lot more support in that first trimester. Um, And also they just have this reverence and respect for life. Um, They value life. Um, I just a personal story, and I shared this a little bit, um, 
in the previous recording that we had. Um, so I'll just share very briefly, you know, when I was six weeks pregnant with my second son, I was experiencing some bleeding and some cramping. And um, it was really concerning to me and something that I wanted to get checked out. And unfortunately, um, there just really wasn't an option um, of somebody that I could go to because most providers start those prenatal visits a little bit later. Um, and so I really had to dig to find somebody. Um, and, you know, long story short, um, and a couple appointments and ultrasounds later, and I was in the emergency room um, about to undergo a surgery um, that would have not only taken the life of my second son, but also would have potentially um, prevented me from being able to get pregnant or carry a child to term ever again. Um, the surgeon that I that I was met with in that emergency room um, had no respect for for unborn life, um, and. And you could see that in the way that she talked. Um, and, and some of this is medical terminology. You know, they refer to uh, the embryo as pregnancy tissue uh, rather than the embryo or the child. Um, and, and also, they're just sometimes more willing to, uh, to take a risk or do a procedure that um, without without double checking that it's actually necessary. Um, and so that's, I guess, a long answer to your, to your question of why it might be important. Um, for me, it would be important to just have somebody with the same values that I have. Um, mm. and, and so that's, I think, what it just comes down to is, you know, if, if you end up, um, if you end up miscarrying, you know, your practitioner is going to be grieving with you. Um, and if that baby continues to grow and develop to term, you know, they're celebrating with you and, and they're, you know, recognizing that that's a child in you, your whole entire pregnancy. Um, and even later on in pregnancy, you know, past the first trimester, um, sometimes these ultrasounds, um, if there's some sort of concern on an ultrasound, um, you know, having a pro-life doctor, that they are not going to even ask you whether or not you want to abort that baby um, if, if they see a concern on an ultrasound. Um, otherwise, you might be given that as an option. Um, and, and that's really, uh, really heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for diving into that and giving a personal example. Um, I definitely agree. And, you know, when you're struggling through something in early pregnancy or even celebrating something in early pregnancy, the last thing that you want to do um, as a Christian woman is feel like you have to defend the life in your womb um, that they are a person, um, that yes. they're a little sweet gift, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that was so helpful, I think for, for myself and for our listeners. So I will definitely 
link in the show notes the um, the resources that you have for that. Um, so let's talk about our next question, which is, do you see any challenges as a Christian in this field? Yes, definitely. <laughs> you know, but that's one of the things that really encouraged me to set up my practice, uh, a fertility and a women's health practice with Christian values. And so, you know, it's really, um, I hope that my practice is a place for Christian women to go to that they can trust um, and just really not only um, have the support that they need in terms of, you know, health wise, um, but also, you know, spiritually, um, I really, really try to make it a practice that at the beginning of my appointments, I pray with my clients, just dedicating our time to the Lord um, and that he would use it. Um, and, you know, I really hope that um, when I'm working with somebody, I can be encouraging them in the word and in scripture as well. Um, because, you know, as we know, this can be um, a really exciting field, but it can also be one that is very emotional and very challenging at the same time. Um, and so as a Christian, some of the challenges, um, you know, the, the natural health world is, uh, it's a wonderful place, but it also is filled sometimes with a lot of uh, crazy, woo-woo, <laughs> uh, new age kind of stuff. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I've really made it important to me that I only use modalities that I really feel confident don't compromise my faith and so some of the things that you know I'll see um, in technically this my field uh, of natural health are things like aligning your chakras and energy healing and meditation and yoga and crystals and all this stuff and and even things that um, I use in my practice such as herbs um, or I don't really use a lot of essential oils, but um, in some cases, you know, lavenders, relaxing, things like that. Um, but they can be put on a pedestal and almost seen as just um, this is the the thing that's going to change my life. And they're almost worshipped um, in a way. And so I really, really try to be careful about that, that, you know, we're using these amazing things that God created, like herbs um, and supplements, but they're not at all anything that we elevate above God. Um, they're just things that he created. Um, and so I even personally stay away from applied kinesiology. Um, it's also called muscle testing, um, which I know is even used by a lot of Christian practitioners. Um, and some of them, you know, may use it well, and there's some sort of science um, with it. But, you know, I've just seen it abused um, and also really turned into an idol. And so I just stay away from it completely. Um, some people in the natural health field, or if you're familiar with natural doctors, um, you might kind of expect that from a natural practitioner that they're going to be using that with you. And so I'm really upfront that I, I don't because for some people, it can actually be a 
disappointment. Um, but it's just not something I personally feel comfortable doing. Um, I just use herbs. I use supplements, uh, nutritional and lifestyle modifications. Um, you know, I, I love that God made plants with medicinal properties and health benefits and, you know, that he just provides for us in that way. Um, and, and it's interesting that, you know, even a vast majority of pharmaceuticals were derived from a plant or inspired by something that's found in nature. Um, and so God provided us with these things and they're just tools, um, not anything by any means that we worship. Um, but I just think it's really neat how he did that. So, um, so that's one thing, um, you know, using modalities that, I feel like I can confidently use as a Christian that um, don't compromise my faith. Um, but the, the second thing is um, as a Christian, and we talked about this a little bit, but I am pro-life. Uh, we know that God values life and that he is the author of life. You know, a couple uh, scriptures that I wanted to share, uh, Genesis 1, 27 so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In Job 33, verse 4, we see, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. And then if we look into Psalm 139, and we see how God knit us together in our mother's womb, you know, God clearly has this view of um you know, a child in the womb is a child. And so, yes, you know, I think that, um, you know, we respect that and we acknowledge, you know, like that is where life begins. But, you know, even as a biologist, somebody who has studied biology for years, um, I also recognize that life begins at conception, you know, that's just standard in the field. You look at all of the biology textbooks that I've ever owned, life begins at conception. Scientifically, you know, we know that sperm and egg join to form a new living whole human organism that is complete with its own unique DNA who is growing and developing into adulthood. And so that means that there are things that I just don't use um, or recommend in my practice. Um, and, you know, I really want to say this graciously because I know that there is a lot of misinformation out there. Um, and I also know that my own view on some of these things has changed um, as I learned more and as the Holy Spirit really worked in my heart. Um, and so, you know, the first thing that um, I don't uh, recommend, um, and and this is, uh, you know, for two reasons, not necessarily from a Christian value standpoint, um, you know, when I'm working to restore women's natural hormones, um, I don't often recommend that we're putting synthetic hormones inside their bodies because we're working to restore their natural balance. Um, so it's not something that um, I would naturally use in my practice anyway. I also don't prescribe medications, um, but uh, I don't um, I don't recommend the pill um, and other potentially abortifacient birth control methods. And so I just want to explain this. Um, so the primary way that the pill works is by preventing ovulation. 
Um, and, and that's fine, you know, when it comes to um, maybe a pro-life stance. Um, but the secondary way that it works, um, and this is what is often not uh, shared as information, um, and so it can really be heartbreaking when we find this out. Um, so the secondary way it works is by preventing implantation. And so what this means is that if ovulation did occur, it wasn't prevented, um, the pill will create conditions in the uterus that make it less likely for the embryo to implant. In other words, it creates a hostile environment. And so that means that that baby is then going to be miscarried um, if that um, if that egg was fertilized and then um, then that baby was not able to implant. And so when we acknowledge, you know, that life begins at conception, preventing implantation is really no different than terminating or aborting after implantation. Um, so I don't know, did you have any other thoughts on the pill? Um, I know that that's something that um, you're aware of as well. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I think um, the first thing that I just want to reiterate about what you said is um, that we come to this subject with so much grace and humility because um, these things are often just not shared. Yeah. Um and so this is not information that most OBs will give you um, when you even ask these questions. Um, so I was on the pill and on different types of birth control for many, many years. Um, and you were also on the pill. And um, so we come to this with uh, personal experience in that area um, and an understanding that it is it seems like the, I don't know, it seems like the easy button. It seems like the one yeah. size fits all approach, like we talked about earlier. Um, but I just want to ask for clarification, Dr. Vavilov, is there any hormonal um, or any like inserted IUD kind of situation, ring, um, et cetera, that completely prevents ovulation with no chance of conception whatsoever. Does that exist? <laughs> oh, the easy answer would to be, or the, the answer that people are probably hoping for is yes, right? Um, yeah. You know, I can't say with full confidence. Um, yes, you know, there are certain things um, like a diaphragm or a condom, you know, things like that that can be used as right. barrier methods. Um, hormonally, um, uh, you're looking at kind of those two 
ways that it could work, either by preventing ovulation or preventing implantation. Um, those are usually the ways that hormonal birth controls work. Um, so even things like an IUD. Um, and there are also, you know, some health consequences to consider um, that you might want to look into um, for IUDs and different things. Um, but what I'm really a big advocate of is natural family planning. Um, and, you know, that's using your menstrual cycle charts. There are multiple different methods of fertility awareness. And, you know, what's really amazing is when they're used correctly, um, they're actually over a 98 or 99 percent success rate. Um, and so it really is something that does work, um, you know, women may think, or you might have, you know, an aunt who said, you know, I did that and that's how, you know, uh, your cousin was conceived or something like that. Um, usually what they're <laughs> referring to is the calendar or the rhythm method where you basically say, okay, I had my period this week last month. And so I can kind of predict I'm gonna get my period at this week, you know, and so that means if I go kind of in between those two dates, um, I should ovulate around this time, but as we touched on earlier, ovulation can change cycle to cycle, and so it's definitely not a reliable form um, <laughs> of family planning, and so that's why it's so important to be assessing these fertility signs like basal body temperature and cervical mucus and cervical position every single day and not just relying on what your body did last month um, because things can change. Um, and so that's what I really recommend and I do have some instructors that I trust. And so if women are listening to this and um, they're on the pill, again, no judgment at all because, um, you know, like it was said, I was there too. Um, I was, you know, put on the pill for bad cramps in my teenage years. And then I took myself off of it um, because I wanted to improve my health. But then when my husband and I were about to get married, um, you know, it was kind of the standard in uh, even the church background that I grew up in. Oh, you're getting married. You better go on the pill. Um, mm -hmm. and, yeah. and so, Me you too. know, it was really encouraged. And, um, and so, and that was by my church, you know, and I'm sure that, you know, going back to those wonderful people who gave that advice, they probably had no idea as well. Um, and I certainly didn't. Um, the, the first time that I actually came across this information about how the pill can have um, abortifacient properties was actually when I was working with a pro-life organization um, in my community. And, you know, I even want to say I remember very vividly when I was in college studying biology, uh, my professor and he wasn't talking about the pill. He was talking about the plan B pill. But he even described the plan B pill as not at 
all having a board of fashion properties. And we just know that isn't true. Um, Mm -hmm. But that was even the information I was given by a biology professor. And so again, you know, if this is your first time hearing this information, there is so much grace because it's information that um, isn't even shared oftentimes by um, the medical community. And so, um, you know, really just give yourself a lot of grace. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about, um, the method of pregnancy prevention. Um, what about the methods of pregnancy assistance? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So that's another really good question and another, um, really sensitive topic. And so I want to say the same thing, you know, um, if this is the first time you're hearing this information that I'm going to be sharing, please, you know, allow yourself to receive grace if, um, if this is something that you've pursued, um, unknowing of, um, the methods and how this works. Um, so if we're talking about, um, pregnancy achieving, um, you know, so ART, assisted reproductive technology is kind of this term that includes um, IUI, intrauterine insemination, and IVF. Um, And so with IVF, um, you know, and I don't want to use my own words here because I am not an IVF specialist. I am a natural health practitioner. I specialize in restorative reproductive health. And so this is not my field. So what I'm going to do is just share some information from a former IVF doctor who was in the field for eight years and actually left the industry um, and now operates a clinic that practices restorative reproductive medicine. Um, So this is... and. Yeah, so um, this doctor, um, he he began to have some ethical concerns um, about eight years into his um, career in IVF. Um, these are what he calls kind of the five disordered um, consequences of uh, assisted reproductive technology. Um, so the first thing that he saw um, is is multiple pregnancies. And so actually, I, I think maybe what I should do um, is I should back up and explain the process of how um, IVF works. And then sure. I'll share Dr. Tuzinski's um, kind of insights on this. Um, so to kind of back up, Um, So IVF, often um, what they do to pursue this is, um, and and there's a really complex process of um, stimulating the ovaries um, with different medications and hyperstimulating them so that they produce even more uh, follicles to mature than they normally would. Um, But after this process is done, there's a procedure where um, the doctor will go in um, and actually remove those uh, eggs um, from the ovary that have matured. Um, Typically, um, this is according to um, Dr. Yao, um, who is a functional fertility doctor. Um, She shares that 
the goal in most uh, fertility clinics is to hyperstimulate the ovaries to mature 15 eggs. And so um, of those 15 eggs, um, those are the ones that they will um, remove from the ovaries. Uh, the hope is that they will be able to fertilize 12 of those eggs successfully. Um, typically how fertilization of those eggs is done right now is by actually um, taking the sperm from the man and injecting the eggs with the sperm. Some of the older methods um, would use a dish where the sperm could kind of naturally uh, find themselves at the egg. Um, but these days, it seems like most clinics actually do a direct injection. Um, and so then um, the hope is that of those 12 fertilized eggs, about five to seven of those embryos would survive to become what they call a high quality blastocyst. Um, and then uh, one to two of those embryos um, would be transferred to the uterus. So now um, Dr. Craig Tuzinski, um, who is the former IVF doctor, he was actually the lab director and embryologist at an IVF clinic. He saw um, that most often in his clinic, they were transferring three to five embryos to a woman's uterus. Um, and of those embryos, some survived and some didn't. Um, so when multiple embryos did grow properly, selective reduction was offered. And so what this means is that one or more of those babies would be injected with a potassium chloride solution um, that would kill that baby so that the mother would only deliver the number of babies that she wanted. Um, and so that falls under his first dilemma that he saw um, of multiple pregnancies. Um, the second dilemma that he saw was abandoned embryos. Um, so as I mentioned before, um, you know, if 15 eggs are matured and of those 15 eggs, 12 are fertilized and become embryos, um, five to seven of those survive to become a high quality blastocyst. Then um, of those, of those five to seven embryos, one to two, um, or in some cases up to five of those embryos would be transferred to the uterus. That leaves us with extra embryos. And so he saw that those embryos were discarded, frozen, or used for research. Those were the three options. Um, his third dilemma was the risk to the offspring. And so it is well documented that babies conceived through IVF are at a higher risk of low birth weight and preterm birth. Um, there's also some research coming out that there may be a higher risk of congenital and neurodevelopmental disorders. Um, his fourth dilemma that he saw was a legal and ethical dilemma. Um, the question of who do these embryos belong to. So the example that um, he has given that he has seen um, time and time again are, you know, if a couple who pursued IVF um, 
and and had uh, live embryos that were left over from an IVF cycle, um, likely frozen. Um, if they if that couple later divorced, uh, the question arises of who has ownership of those embryos or the children. Uh, should the mother still be allowed to implant those embryos uh, that contain her ex-husband's DNA? And the fifth dilemma that he saw as an embryologist in this field was um, human experimentation. And so there are two, um, two issues that he saw under this category. The first one, ICSI, which stands for intracytoplasmic sperm injection. And this is a process where the embryologist injects the sperm directly into the egg, which we talked about. Um, now, he, as an embryologist, um, originally studied um, animals as an animal embryologist. And then um, in the 90s, um, when IVF really started taking off, um, the natural career path would be to then move into an embryologist in IVF. And so that's what he did. Um, and he noted that, you know, this ICSI, this intracytoplasmic sperm injection, um, he had, you know, it was never actually performed in animals before. The first time that they attempted this was in humans. Um, and then the other issue that he saw um, is what they call CRISPR babies, C-R-I-S-P-R. And essentially, these um, are genetically modified children where parents can choose different genes to modify based on what um, qualities they want to see in their children. Um, and so, you know, all of that being said, I think that there's just, you know, a lot that we have to think about as Christians when it comes to IVF. Uh, we also know that uh, some of the medications and the hormones used in IVF can really have some health consequences for the mother. And so that's why, in, you know, in my practice, I, I prefer using a restorative reproductive approach, restoring the um, reproductive system that God gave us. Um, to use. And so, you know, and I just want to leave this on a really encouraging note. Um, Dr. Lauren um, Izubal um, is an MD, and um, she has come out with some really interesting data saying that um, fertility can actually be restored in 85% of women diagnosed with unexplained infertility, which is just incredible. Um, and that's even higher, you know, than um, the rates that we're seeing um, with IVF. And so um, there, there is hope um, for, for approaching fertility from a natural way, uh, definitely. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think that is, um, just a wonderful thing to mention after we talked about um, the very heavy truths of um, IVF. And um, when you feel like that's your only option, um, you know, th that information is just, it, it, it's heartbreaking to hear. I can imagine for, for most women. Um, and so I would just say, 
look into look into some other options. And again, I can't provide um, I can't provide direct advice, but um, I can say, you know, now that you have the information presented to you, you can do with it what you choose to do. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I, there are just wonderful stories of um, women who have been told, you know, um, that heartbreaking thing of um, either you have, you know, unexplained infertility or um, IVF is your only option. And there are so many wonderful stories, even personal stories in my life, um, where, you know, I've seen these women um you know, be able to conceive, um, naturally. And, um, you know, I also want to say, you know, we don't know, we don't know God's plans. Um, and we don't know his timing, but one thing that I would really just want to encourage women in, especially if this is a journey that you're walking down, um, is just, you know, really to use this as a time that can draw you closer to the Lord. Um, and, and my hope and my prayer for each of my clients that I work with is that that happens through their journey, is that they just learn to rely more and more on the Lord and um, just trusting him, but also just recognizing his goodness and, and that he's walking with us through these things. We are not alone. Amen. Amen to that. What an encouragement. Um, So let's wrap up with this final question. Um, Do you have any recommendations for Christian women um, looking to begin addressing their health naturally? Yes. Absolutely. So, you know, I know that it can be really, um, really emotional and disheartening walking through health challenges and infertility. And so first, you know, I would say, get grounded in the word, find a community of Christian women, or even just one or two women who can really be encouraging you with scripture and praying for you. And, you know, knowing that God has already planned out each and every one of your days and just resting in that. Um, And, you know, The second thing that I would say is lifestyle changes can really make a huge impact. Um, Simple things like um, eating more vegetables, um, exercising, and I don't mean even vigorous exercise, even just going for a walk, um, working on your sleep. You know, those are some simple things that you can start doing um, that can really help you to feel better. And then I would say, you know, find a really good practitioner who's going to listen to you and work with you to find the root causes of what's going on and to set up a plan for you. Um, There are two organizations um, where you can search for somebody um, in your area, um, either FEM, F-E-M-M. They are great practitioners who use um, your menstrual cycle um, as a sign of health. And that can be really, um, really helpful. Also, uh, NAPRO technology or NAPRO doctors, N-A-P-R-O, or NAPRO, I guess it's pronounced two different ways. Um, 
these practitioners are usually um, Catholic, um, but they're very pro-life. And um, something that they have to offer that I don't have is if you actually have like a physical blockage, um, blocking one of your tubes, um, they actually have trained surgeons who can go in and do that. Um, and so, and that's something where, you know, you can work with an APRO doctor um, and, a, and a holistic practitioner at the same time. You know, you can really have a great team. Um, but uh, those are some really great resources. Um, I'm also taking new clients. And so I do offer virtual consultations. Um, you don't have to be in freezing cold Minnesota in order to be one of my clients. <laughs> you don't have to move here. I wouldn't recommend it either. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I really wouldn't. Um, but anyway, that's beside the point. Um, no, it's been a great place to, to, to grow up and raise my family so far. But um, yeah, I wouldn't move. I wouldn't move here just so you can be a client. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> uh, I also um, I'm teaching a, a six week group class. Um, I don't know when this episode is going to air, um, but the group class is starting June 7th, um, where we're going through everything you need to know about your hormones, and it really lays a great foundation for how and where to start when you're wanting to balance your hormones naturally, and so if you're just looking, you know, to improve your health and um, implement some practical things, um, that can be a really great place to start. Um, otherwise, if you want more one-on-one -on -one support, um, working through your charts and things like that, um, you can set up a one-on-one -on -one appointment. I offer um, a complimentary virtual consultation um, to anybody who's interested. So, Wonderful, wonderful. And how can people find you? Yeah, so my website is ovawellness.com, O-V-A, wellness.com. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at ovawellness. Um, those are probably the two best places to find me. Awesome. And I am such a fan of you that I post your stuff all the time. So <laughs> you can also follow the Olives and Arrows podcast and you will definitely come across Dr. Rebecca's stuff um, <laughs> because I'm constantly sharing it. Um, she's just a wealth of information. So um, yeah, definitely, definitely stop on by and, and you'll find Dr. Vavilov without having look too far. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You know, I try to, I try to post things that are going to be really helpful for people. So, and I love doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, I guess what I want to do, and this is on the fly, but <laughs> I just want to see if you have a few words of encouragement for someone who is just getting started um, and looking into uh, kind of different approach to their health um, or maybe someone who is longing to be a mother, um, anything like that. Do you just have a few words of encouragement for that woman? Yes, absolutely. So first of all, I just really want to um, commend you on taking these steps. Um, you know, the world of natural health is just fantastic because um, there's so many things that you can really do to um, take 
take control of your health um, and, and impact it in a positive way. And so um, I would just really encourage you, you know, like, great job for doing that and making that decision um, to, to do so. Um, but also just know that there are other women who are in the exact same place. You know, uh, there are other women, myself included, um, who have walked through different health challenges and have been disheartened at the answers that they've gotten. Uh, I'm talking about myself as well. Um, and just knowing, you know, that there's more out there, there's more information. Um, and, and really just being your own advocate, you know, um, sometimes you will have new information to present your doctor with that they will have not even come across before. Um, and I, I really encourage everybody that I work with, you know, be a researcher, you know, I am not one of those practitioners who says, oh, just trust everything I say, you know, and, and do what I say. Um, no, research, you know, there's just a wealth of information out there. Um, and I would also say, you know, and I mentioned this a little bit before, um, but you are not alone walking in this journey, whatever it is, whether it's PCOS, whether it's, you know, endometriosis. Um, I talk with a lot of women with endometriosis and, you know, this journey and infertility, um, it can seem very lonely. Um, and you can feel often like you're you're the only one in the world walking through it. Um, and certainly you have your own story um, that nobody else has, um, but there are other women who have experienced the same kinds of feelings. Um, and, and just to surround yourself with, with strong Christian women who can encourage you and build you up through the journey. Um, I think that's one of the best things that you can do, um, only second to getting in the word um, and really trusting your journey to God. Um, and I know that's hard. Um, I know that it's so much easier if we just say, well, this is my plan. This is how I'm going to do it. And this is what I hope happens. Um, but, you know, God is in control. There is not a single thing that takes him by surprise. He has laid out every single day before you even walk through it. And so you can rest knowing that you don't have to figure it out all on your own. You know, God is with you along through this. Um, and, and he knows what you're going through. Um, and he's not surprised. Um, and he's going to provide the right people and the right resources to help you through it. Yes. And amen, sister. That is such great advice for our listeners. Wow, I could talk to you for another two hours, but alas, we have been talking for an hour and a half, so <laughs> we'll have to have you on again very soon. Um, but thank you so much for your time and your thoughtfulness um, and your grace and candor in, in answering all of these questions. Um, you are just a light in this this world, and the Lord is just clearly working through you. So thank you so much for your time tonight. 
Thank you so much for having me on. It's wonderful talking to you as well. Of course, of course. And we'll have you on again soon, I'm sure, because people are going to be wanting more. (laughs) Oh, good, because I'm excited to talk to you also. I just love this podcast that you're doing. I think it is so needed. And I am just so excited for the women who are going to be blessed by your podcast. I think it's I think it's an amazing thing. Oh, thank you so much. Well, again, it's been a pleasure and we will have you on again soon. Thank you so much. Absolutely. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye. I truly hope that today's episode was an encouragement to you. I pray that you will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. Please subscribe, share, and leave a rating for this podcast. I could not do this without you. See you next time.